Hey friends, welcome to episode 19 of the Making Room on the Pew podcast, a podcast for the church misfits and outcasts. Uh, Today we are here with Abby Norman. If you don't know Abby yet or you haven't connected with her yet, you are in for a real treat. Um, She is a former teacher and a current preacher living with her family in the city of Atlanta. So she was a teacher for nine years, and then she decided to go to seminary, and she's actually in the process of becoming ordained in the Methodist tradition. She's also been blogging for about seven years. Uh, She's also written for the Huffington Post, She Loves Magazine, and the Mudroom blog. Guys, she's even been on NPR, and she had a TEDx talk about rape culture, sex, consent, Um, really hard things that we absolutely need to be talking about. So I'll link that in the show notes as well. Um, but this conversation guys is, is so great. Um, rape, sex, uh, consent, race relations, um, apologizing to our kids when we're wrong, making church a space where we can be wrong or be unsure or, Um, make mistakes and still be loved and accepted um, rather than trying to be perfect all the time, which is what I felt like I had to be growing up. And I'm sure some of you guys did as well. Uh, So this conversation is really timely, really important. And I'm so thankful for Abby, her work and for this conversation. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Abby Norman. Well, thank you so much, Abby, for being on the podcast. I'm really, really excited to have you. Um, I have actually been looking for someone who would come on to talk about hard things, specifically talking about how to talk about hard things with our kids. Um, Yeah. So I'm really excited. Yes. I, well, I have two kiddos. Um. And they ask me all the questions. And my husband and I met on a speech team. (laughs) (laughs) And so we've been, and he's a communications professor, and I am an English teacher and a preacher. So we really are into words at our house, is what I'm trying to say. Just like all the words. And so we, we committed pretty early to like, as best we could being radically honest with our kids. And for the most part, it has worked out. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, How old are your kids? I have um, an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old. They're both girls. Okay. Those are, those are curious ages for sure. Yes. So it is an age where like your parents are the authority and you're fine with that. Right. It's like, oh, well, my mom will know that. My dad will know that, you know, like I remember. So they're in the second and the fourth grade. And that's really the ages where you just like think your parents, you know, can totally handle everything. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, my mom could fix that. My dad could fix that. It's like, actually, that's not true. But okay. Like, (laughs) (laughs) And that, and they really do think we know a lot. So that is nice. And I'm going with that, like, as long as possible. 
I taught for a long time in uh, ninth and 10th grade classrooms. And so I am aware that I need to just hang on to this while it lasts. Yes. Oh, for sure. Like before they're old enough to know that you don't know everything and then question everything. Well, they're right. It's this weird period where they're like, oh, they don't know any, everything. So they must not know anything. Right. Exactly. And so you go from like, oh, they know everything and they can fix everything to like, I mean, my kid is like asking me how to rewire like her, her toy, you know? It's like, oh dude, I cannot <laughs> fix that. We're going to have to buy another one. Um, but, and then they, they, I know that the swing is coming where I don't know anything. Yes. So I'm aware. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet though. Um, all right. Well, as we get started, what would you like our listeners who maybe haven't connected with you yet to know about like you, your family, your work, Yeah, whatever um, you'd like them to know? So my name is Abby. Um, I currently am pastoring a very small Methodist church. It's a very interesting time to be a Methodist. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in the middle, uh, we're about to get a big divorce and it has all been public. Um, anyway, I pastor a Methodist church. I grew up in a pretty conservative evangelical environment and I am now um, a pretty darn liberal Methodist. <laughs> and I have a master's in divinity and I'm in the midst of ordination um, in the Methodist church. And I taught high school for 10 years and I still do teach online just to pay the bills and um, the most interesting thing about my parenting I think is that we have chosen to keep our girls who are white in the neighborhood school so they are one of the few white children in what is a mostly black school and that has just um, enriched everyone's life so much and I feel very very lucky and I'm really passionate about um, schooling and education and opportunities for everybody. Yeah. So I, I what, think that covers it. <laughs> yeah. What made you um, keep them in that school? Was that even like a conversation or was it just this is what we know is best for our family? Um, well, it. It was a conversation mostly because we are very much going against the grain. So my neighborhood is, we've lived in our house for 10 years now. Our neighborhood is gentrifying. Um, There are more affluent families of all colors moving in, but none of them go to the school. They all choose a charter school, go to private school, they homeschool. And so in the neighborhood, uh, people say really (laughs) mean and ignorant things about the school that happens to be serving my children really, really well. I knew I wanted my kids to go to a public school. I always said that I had hoped that they would go to um, our neighborhood school. And so, but what happened was that we sort of tried it out of desperation. So my husband um, was in his PhD program and he needed more time to write and our oldest qualified for pre-k and pre-k is free in the state of Georgia so it was like okay let's try this and then if we hate it we'll just pull her and we weren't planning on sending her to pre-k anyway so that's okay that's fine 
And we didn't really think about how she would be the only white kid. It was just like, oh my gosh, we need a solution because we're tired and his PhD, um, you know, he's like doing his comps. And so we enrolled her and it was just the most amazing thing. We just loved the community. The teacher was like a hero figure in our class. The first sat or not in our class, in our house, the first Saturday that Juliet, um, was told like you don't go to school on Saturdays she cried and I had to take her to the school and prove to her I was not keeping her from her class and her teacher oh yeah and I had worked um in a huge variety of high schools and so I knew what a difference parents could make I knew how much power parents really have They have so much more power than the teachers. They don't know it, but they do. And I knew that they had needs, you know, that I could maybe meet. Um, Not because we could, at the time, my husband was a PhD candidate and I was a um, public school teacher. So it wasn't like I was shelling out all the money for the class. But I knew I had like followers on Twitter. I knew I had a blog. I knew I had a community that would support, um, the school with me. And so we've been able to be supportive of the school. And I also know and knew that the teachers know how to fix it. Like I had worked in enough high schools to know that in every high school in America, most of the teachers could fix it if you would just listen to them and then do what they tell you. But so many teachers in the hardest schools in America are black women and we don't listen to black women in our country. Yeah. But my Mm -hmm. kids, it's been so amazing. It's been so amazing. My kids like don't understand that. Like when we um, talk about who we're voting for, for a president, they're like, well, who's the black lady? Cause she's in charge of everything. So we should just let her be in charge because in their Um. life, she is in charge of everything. <laughs> yes. So it's it's oh. been really interesting to like have to tell them. Um, it's been really powerful and it's been. Hello. Hello. Yes. Oh, perfect. Sorry, I think we broke up for just a little bit. But um, I love that so much. I was actually, so I'm working on um, a book proposal right now, actually. And I was writing and thinking through um, my own experiences around people who are different than I am Mm -hmm. and I literally had to write the words um I never experienced diversity until college which is completely true I went to a public school in a tiny farming community in the middle of nowhere Ohio Mm -hmm. and I can literally remember 
the first day that I went to um, the community college in Columbus and there was a woman in a hijab and she said hello to me and I literally cannot remember if I said hello back because I was so terrified because all I could think about was 9-11. Right. So my girls, uh, both of their kindergarten teacher wore a hijab. Yeah. So they, like, well, first of all, uh, my little one, Priscilla, she and her name was Miss Ben Sadoon, connected so beautifully that she started asking to wear, a, like, a, one of my scarves around her head to school because she wanted to be just like Miss Ben. Uh. Yeah. When I asked her about like do I talk about this with my kids do I not you know and so when my older one um like after maybe the first week is like hey did you notice that thing that Miss Ben wears you know on she, you can't see your hair and she rolled her eyes at me and she was like mom we already talked about this it's her uniform I wear a uniform to school she wears a uniform people like her wear uniforms it's not a big deal oh. <laughs> I was like I oh, love that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. Check handled. All right. She we got don't it. have to have this discussion. Yeah. She was like, it's the uniform. Moving on with your life. Like, why are you even talking to me about this? How do you not know? Uh, oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. So, like, we've had really great conversations on race. Um, it's been a little tricky because. Uh, the, well, I've had some really tricky conversations um, recently, so I don't ever want to say that it's hard. Like, I never want to be the person who's like, I don't want to ever be the white woman who's like, oh, it's so hard to be white where I am, because it's not hard, right. but, but it's tricky sometimes, um, just especially there are so few people who have the experience that my kids are having. And there are so few parents that I know that are choosing that experience for their kids that um, it's just key. So one of the things is my daughter, um, my younger daughter asked me two or three weeks ago, right before Christmas, she was like, mom, are there any art? And I couldn't, I was shocked. Um, she said, are there any American heroes that are white? Wow. And I was like, what? She said, well, are there any American heroes that are white? Because all of the ones that are in pictures at my school, they're all black. Mm. And I was like, there are so many American heroes that are white. In fact, um, and then she was like, well, yeah, she knew about the fathers. She was like, I guess they are. And then she said to me, but some of them were slave owners, so they're not heroes. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. Right. She just, like, is, yes. I was like, I didn't get your teacher enough for Christmas. Okay. So, um, yeah, it was amazing. And she was like, so they weren't really heroes. And she was like, I don't know any white women who were heroes. So we talked about it and I, you know, gave her some examples. And then the really cool thing was I was like, so do you know why 
your school always talks about black people. And she was like, well, well, yeah, because they're, they are mostly black people. And we had this really amazing conversation on totally on her level about what it feels like when you aren't centered and how most of the media that she consumes still centers white people. So we like went through the kids shows on Netflix that she watches. And I was like, mm -hmm. how many black people are in here? How, and, and my kids, because they watch what their friends watch, like we watched some of the Tyler Perry shows. So they were like, there aren't any white people in this. And I was like, yes, because a black man made it for that reason. And they were like, oh, so like black media is special. And then like white media is like people think that that's normal. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, that's stupid. And I was like, yes. Yay. Good talk. You know, <laughs> but I think like, wow, my second grader already has more empathy for not being centered than I did when I was in my 20s. Yeah, and, like we already are having conversations about like who's being centered in this story and why is that important and why is it okay to not be centered sometimes, you know, and that's tricky because it's developmental. Every yeah. second grader wants to see themselves in the story. Like when my um, oldest learned about MLK, she was in pre pre-K or kindergarten she came home and was like, mom, did you know that when Martin Luther King was alive, black girls and boys and white boys and girls weren't allowed to go to the same school? I was like, I did know that, you know? And she mm -hmm. said, oh, and it, was so, it would be so horrible because I wouldn't have any friends. Uh. And I was like, I see you and I see how you thought that think that like it would be so horrible because we wouldn't be allowed to go to our neighborhood school because it's a black school and you like going to black school but I also then already so she's like five and so it's completely emotionally appropriate for a five-year-old to always center themselves in the story and also the reason that civil rights is really important is not so white people get to do what they want like, yeah, it was really tricky. It was tricky to navigate that. Yeah. So how do you decide what is appropriate to talk to your kids about and what is, I mean, do you ever think, do you ever say like, oh, well, um, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how to say this correctly. I mean, are there things that you will not talk to your kids about until they're older? Or do you just somehow find a way to talk about it with them where they are? Yeah, so you have to talk them. I, I just think in the age that we're in, you have to talk about it with them. And a lot of the race stuff, it's, it's just white privilege that I'm not talking about it. You know, like I, yeah. my daughter, and she was talking about Emmett Till. I was like, oh, I can't believe teaching fourth grader about Emmett Till. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty upset. And then I was like, no, fourth grade black boys need that story. And the only reason that I think it's okay from that is because I can. 
and that's yeah. not fair. So I, I'm pretty committed to that. And then the other thing about sex very openly at the house, and the one time that I did not answer the question, a movie. So then I tell her, like kids have access to information. You, they can either take it through you or they can find it on the internet. And they need to be able to have like grownups that they can go to that will answer their questions so they don't have to Google it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how, so sex, I mean, okay. First of all, I feel like talking about sex and consent with your kids, even now, is pretty stigmatized. Um, I mean, so my wife and I are in the process of um, fostering and adopting. Mm. And in our classes that we had to take, like, as part of that training, um, I happened to say something about talking about sex with kids. And I mean, you would have thought that I like punched someone in the face the way the class reacted. I mean, even our um, facilitator was like, well, no, that's not appropriate. So I'm wondering, I mean, obviously, you I'm have had. What's that? Sorry, I think you're cutting in and out. Um, okay. or I am one of his. Um, if a kid has questions, they need them answered. If a kid is old enough to ask a question about sex, they're old enough to talk about sex. Right. And very often, kids who are asking questions about sex need information because there might be something inappropriate happening. Hmm. Yeah, I have not it's even thought about that. Important. Uh, educator, right? It's really important to equip kids with the right language to talk about their own bodies so that they can talk about their own bodies. It's really important um, to let them know you know, consent does not just start in the, um, consent can't start like when the kid is 16, right? That's not going to work. So I actually have to talk about this and I have an Amazon book that's like $5 about this, a self-published Amazon um, called Consent-Based Parenting. Ooh, okay. I will definitely link that. Okay, it's really, great. it's really good. I read it, I wrote it a couple of years ago uh, recently and I was like, oh, this totally holds up. Um, that's what I say in that book. 
talk about it at all until you think the kid is having sex. That's a kid formula for 18 years and sticking a steak in them and being like, okay, digest this. Right. Like that's not, we need to, you know, you got to ramp up to it, including, but not limited to. So like in the bath public, oh, do you want to, do you want to wash or do you want me to wash? Do you want to have your diaper, you know, even just talk to your baby and being like, okay, it's time for a diaper change. I know it's going to be cold or whatever. And then just like up and continue when they say continue. So then they're in charge of the tickling. Um, and then like the, you don't have to hug or kiss anyone you don't want to. My friend told Fida, I want to kiss you and you ask everyone, he says, mm, how about hug? How about oh. goes? Yeah. He knows. And it's not, you know, it's not brain surgery. It's just like believing children are whole people who get to be in charge of their own body right exactly yeah like they and are so not then go ahead yeah no, no no I just I think that that's such a great um point because I think that so often I mean for so long children were to be seen and not heard right they were to just do what they were told they were not viewed as um, whole people. I mean, I think that even just switching that in our brains to remember that children are people also, and that they have thoughts and emotions and feelings and are yeah. humans. I, I don't know. I think that even just flipping that is such yeah, an important part of Yeah, and thoughts and emotions this. and feelings that, yeah, thoughts and emotions and feelings that they are entitled to. Yes. Like, there's a weird dynamic where people are like, I'm grown. I can want. And it's like, or I can feel however I want to feel about that. Yes, so can your kid. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Both of those things are true. So, also, the other thing is, like, you just, when talking about sex with kids, I'm a big believer in like, and I learned this tip when I was teaching, which was if you were going to have to say something sort of embarrassing in class, then you should practice in front of the mirror. And so like, we use the real word house and it doesn't like bother, it doesn't occur that people are embarrassed by the word vagina or penis or whatever else we're talking about because they're like, but that's what it's called. Like right. it's as, as normal to us as like talking about your toes and your elbow and your head. It's like a part of your body. Yeah. Well, and that is so important too. Like teaching kids the actual term is so important because I have heard the, I mean, I have heard stories about kids telling teachers or other adults things that um, the teacher or adult just says, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, they don't realize that the child is actually telling them that they have been raped. Abused, yep, yeah. or raped. 
And then the kid, know. yep, yeah, because they don't know that they call it a whatever they call it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, they, oh, I thought she was talking about a stuffed animal. And then yep. the child is like, oh, I guess that this is okay because I told this trusted adult and they didn't even care. Yeah. Really confusing for the kid. Yes. Yes. And so dangerous. For sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, but go ahead. I know also that a lot of us grew up feeling shame or being told, like, shameful. And I think it's okay. Uh, like, okay. So when I taught literature, especially with ninth grade, I taught Romeo and Juliet. He's wild, all kinds of penis jokes. Um, it's really inappropriate. But in the ninth grade, right? And so I would tell gonna make you uncomfortable but that's okay like I don't really want to talk about this either but that's okay because it's here and the state says that we should do it so this is what we're doing but you can say to even like not my, I can even say to my nine-year-old like is this conversation weird for you because it's weird for me but it's really important so just honoring that yeah so takes away a lot of the shame. Yes. Um, well, so that makes me wonder, because so many of us adults have so much shame around this, how do we not pass that down to our kids? Well, you work it out you know like you you do the work for yourself if you're not willing to do the work worth it do the work so that your kid has a parent who because you can't you can't talk the talk but not walk the walk and expect that even believe anything you say and you just have to so you have to do the work you know and then I think something that has been really powerful for me and for my husband like and we know that we did something wrong or we have better information we tell the girls we say like three years ago, we thought this, but now we think this other thing. And I just want you to know that is like, as soon as I have better information that you will get it. And that has really opened up a lot of doors because first of all, the girls know that they can be wrong. Yeah. And then they can fix it. And is, how powerful is that? 
that they're like, oh, you can just be wrong and then you can learn and then you can be right. Like you don't have to, and mom and dad do that too. That's so great. And yeah. then, yeah, so that's really radical, but it also means that like you don't always get to be the authority figure. Like sometimes mm -hmm. I say, I don't know, I'll have to Google that. Like, I don't know, we'll have to figure that out together. I'm not sure, what do you think? And so, if you want the authoritarian role in your household, like, that's not going to work for you. But it really empowers your kids to be resilient. They're doing all of this research on what they're calling, like, grit. And one of the things is, like, how does a kid bounce back from being wrong? It's like, oh, well, if they've had that modeled, then that's really powerful. Yeah. So you, so you can, um, like, you can tell the kids, and if you're trying to change the call, okay, to tell them, to say, like, in my house growing up, we weren't allowed to talk about this, and so it's really hard for me to talk about this with you. But I don't want you to have that problem. So I'm doing this hard thing with you so it will be better. Hey friends, I wanted to break into this episode here really quickly to tell you something I'm very excited about um, that is launching now in 2020. Um, I am now over on Patreon. So if you know what Patreon is, you know how exciting that is. Uh, and if you don't, Patreon is just a way for us to uh, support financially the uh, independent creatives, the authors, podcasters, filmmakers, whatever type of creatives you love, um, so that they're able to continue to do this work. So uh, you may know <laughs> this takes time and effort and money and uh, a lot of us can't afford to just do this work full time so we do have full time jobs also a great way to support uh, those of us who do this creative work is to help us out financially if you are able um, even just one dollar a month really does a lot. Uh, so head on over to Patreon. That's in the show notes as well, but it's just patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash Bailey W-P, making it easy for you. Um, so head on over there to find out all of the perks you can get uh, as a Patreon, as a supporter of this work, depending on your level of giving. All right, guys, back to the show. I'm wondering, um, keeping with this theme of making it safe for people to be wrong and to learn and to do better and to try to take away that fear, how do you think that the church, like as a whole or like a local church, can participate in creating that sort of safe space as well? Yeah, so um, let me tell you about the most remarkable thing that happened at my church. 
So it's super small. They're like maybe 10 people, maybe at a service. And this woman was having a really hard time and just like, I don't want to put her business on the internet, but like really, like really tragic things had happened in her life. And she, uh, we have like open prayer time, right? Where I just am like, how do you want to pray? And people tell me, you know, they give me their prayer requests and she raised her hand and she was shaking and she was like, I'm so mad at God. I'm so mm -hmm. angry with God. And I looked at her and I said, I just want you to know how brave I think you are. That you would say that out loud in a church during prayer time. Yeah. And also, of course you're mad at God. Of course you are. And she, of course, then like bursts into tears. And these two women in my church stand up, walk over next to her, get the Kleenex, bring them to her. And then as, and then we just proceeded and I took all the prayer requests. So we have a prayer rail that I kneel at as the pastor. And I invite anyone who wants to, to kneel at the prayer rail with me. And she wanted to, but she was like shaking so hard that these two other women held her up as she was kneeling at the prayer rail. Hmm. And I was like, this is it, man. I was like, I, there's no sermon today. Like we just had church. What do you want? You know, I mean, I yeah. think I did giving a sermon, but that is not the important part of the service that day. Um, so I think the church needs to be way, way better. I actually am working on a book proposal about lament for this reason, hmm. because if you read the Bible, like the church, man, people get so real with God in the Psalms. They get so, they're like, where are you? You have abandoned me. Like I'm yeah. tearing my clothes. I'm dying without you. What's wrong with you? Why haven't you showed up? Like you said you were going to. People talk to God like that in the Bible. But if you talk to God like that in most American churches, they're like, oh, that's horrible. He's going to get you. No, he's not. First of all, God is not a he, but also God's not <laughs> going to get you for that. Right. Like God is way bigger than that. And God can hold everything, not just our praise. Yeah. Yeah. My Old Testament professor in seminary said, and I think this is so brilliant. Um, he said, as long as you're talking to God and not about God, that's a faithful relationship. Hmm. That you can say anything you want as long as you're still talking to God. Yeah. And teaches us. But how many times have you heard a sermon where the point was like, yeah, you should cuss out God if that's what you need to do to save your relationship with God? Yeah, right. Like, I believe that, but I don't know if I could, I have never found a pulpit where I could preach that. <laughs> People would be like, no, you need to go away. Like that's, yeah. But it isn't. And like, that's why so many people disappear, right? When stuff gets hard, they just stop going to church. When it's like, no, that should be the place where we like rip our clothes and cry out together. But instead, it's the place where we have to have, you know, we have to be okay. Yeah. 
I love this so much. I am. My wife says that I have an, what she calls an interesting relationship with God because I say things uh, that you, that most people would not think you should say to God. My prayers are not often pretty angry. And she even will still like, jokingly I'll say something and she'll like jokingly step back and be like I'm just waiting for the lightning bolt yes and I I, know yes I tell people that me and God have an arrangement and this is our arrangement I talk to God any kind of way and God returns the favor Ooh, I like that. Like, I'm totally blunt with God, but guess what? God is also like, okay, Abby, if this is how we're talking to each other, right? <laughs> like, I get told, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I do talk to God any kind of way. I figure God already knows what I'm thinking, so let's, let me just go for it. Well, exactly. Right, I mean, but also, like, I don't want to worship a God who can't handle that from me. Yeah. Absolutely. But my mom taught me that. So when I was in middle school, I got really sick. We couldn't figure out what was wrong. And my mom asked me if I was mad at God. And I remember just being horrified because Hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, she knows. She knows my big scary secret. Right. And I said, yes. And she said, yeah, me too. And I was like, what? And then she was like, let me tell you about David. And she like pulled open her Bible. She showed me the mean, angry Psalms. And she was like, of course you're mad at God. How could you not be? Yeah. And I, honest to God, think that saved my relationship with God and the church and the Bible like forever. Hmm. Yeah. I, I love that. I wish that more, I'm excited to hear that you are working on a book proposal about this because I really wish that more people were this honest. I think that we would have a lot more people in church or even willing to just try church if or we like, actually talked like this. Yeah. Or wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't how amazing would it be if it was like, man, I'm so angry and I'm so frustrated and I need somewhere to cry. Let me go to church. Like, yeah, whoa, that would be so radical because I think our generation does need places to cry. And I think you can see that like in, you know, like even the humor that we like is like really dark. <laughs> yeah, it is. like it's like millennials are like dark and uh and gen xers too you know and it's like we're just kind of dark and we um and it's like because we don't have anywhere else to put that but like yeah. we need somewhere to put that and yeah the church absolutely like needs to be the place you can put that and i say that but i also think there are other church traditions besides because I'm a, I'm a white progressive now, but, um, like the evangelical church is pretty bad at lament and the progressive church that I'm a part of is probably just as bad, but I think there are other, um, non-white churches do a much better job with lament. Yes. Um, 
we could learn a lot from them. <laughs> like yeah. all, like all of the lament songs that I know are um, Negro spirituals. Right. Yes. Right. Oh, wow. I like, uh, I really like where that conversation went. I was yeah. not expecting it. And uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate that. Um, all right, <laughs> Abby. So as we wrap up here, um, do you want to go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you and your work yeah. or so, anything else? <laughs> yeah. So I'm at abbynorman.net and I am committed to blogging more often because just because I need to. Um, for my own sanity. Uh, you can find some sermons there too. And I'm always on Twitter and I'm at Abby Norman says on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So awesome. that's, that's me. And you, hopefully I'm supposed to hear something um, in a couple of weeks about, I actually have someone looking at my book proposal. <laughs> So oh maybe gosh. you can buy my book about lament in like a year. Yes. Maybe I'll come back here to promote it. Definitely. Oh my gosh. Okay. I would love so, that. Yeah. I have someone looking at it right now. They're going to tell me hopefully by the end of January. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. Yes. Keep us updated. And you literally heard it here first because I haven't breathed the word of it to anyone. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Oh, awesome. All right. Well, Abby, thank you so, so much. Um, I really loved um, talking with you and where this conversation went. And I'm just, I'm really excited. This is the first time we have talked on the podcast about a lot of the stuff that we talked about today. I'm really yes. excited to get it out. Yes. I, yeah, I go deep real fast. <laughs> I don't know how to swim in the shallow end. I love it. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Abby just as much as I did, and I'm sure you did. You can find Abby over at abbynorman.net, where she does blog pretty regularly. You can also find her on Twitter at abbynormansays. Um, she is a really, really great follow, guys. All right, so that about wraps it up for today. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Making Room on the Pew. I really hope that you've enjoyed it and that you have been inspired to think more deeply about what you believe and why you believe it and um, how we can make this church and world a better space for everyone. If this episode has positively impacted you in any way, we would love it if you would take a few seconds to give us an honest five-star rating and a short review here on iTunes that really helps other people find us. Um, and I hope that if you like it, you want others to be able to find it as well. You can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Everything is at Bailey Joe Welch. And you can also find me over on my blog, uh, baileyjoewelch.com. Until next time, this has been Making Room on the Pew.